0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to this thesis chat with Chris Hawkins, who I will introduce to you in a moment. Um, Right. So here I am. And I'm here also with Dr. Maggie Park, who was the second reader for Chris's thesis. So she will join in at some point. But I'm going to first of all introduce you to our student who is defending his thesis today. And this is Chris Hawkins, who is a high school English teacher. And he has, he says, loved incorporating what he's learned during his time at Signum into his lessons. Uh, He has a master's of education for secondary education, as well as a BA in English and a minor in classical mythology, which I think will explain a lot about the thesis that we're gonna hear about today. Uh, And he gained that from the University of Maryland. And now that he's finished his master's at Signum, he's not sure where his academic journey will lead. PhD, Christopher, PhD, one day. And he says that all that can be known is that the road goes ever on and on. And isn't that just the truth? So welcome, Christopher. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty good. How about you?
0: Yes, in these very strange times, not doing too badly at all. Isn't that the worst curse
1: ever to live in strange times?
0: (laughs) Yes, yeah, it is. May you live in interesting times. It's definitely a curse. Okay, I will give you the abstract for Christopher's paper before we start, uh, in case you haven't already read it. And just to give you that little bit of a flavour of what it is we're going to be talking about, this has been a fascinating thesis to work with. That is for sure, because it has taken me down all sorts of paths that I hadn't trodden before when it comes to supervising a thesis for Signum. So let me tell you a little bit about it before we start. Okay. So the title of Christopher's thesis is me, hashtag me too, Medusa, the power of narrative on Western society. All societies are governed and shaped by the narratives that they tell, the stories that we as a people share with one another and pass down reflect how we view the world. By looking at how the Medusa myth has been encoded into the collective unconscious of Western society, and by using the myth of Medusa as a lens, it can be seen how Western society's view of women has evolved and changed over the centuries from both the male and female perspective and how little truly has changed in this patriarchal society. Through evaluation of the various incarnations of Medusa and the Medusa myth throughout history using historical and feminist framework, it can be seen how men fear sexually empowered, fully realized women and have been systematically working to strip women of their power, pride and purpose. While the majority of feminist scholars view Medusa as a victim of abuse, mainstream media still portrays her as a femme fatale set to destroy man. Medusa serves as a representation for the fully realized woman. And to this day, she is the one seen as a monster by men and is used to keep women down. Now, if that's not an interesting introduction to a thesis, I swear I don't know what is. So... Time to talk to Christopher. Right. So we've had the abstract for your thesis, Christopher, but let's flesh that out a little bit. Give us a little bit more. Give us a brief overview of your thesis uh, and explain also, if you would. In fact, let's start with why did you choose this topic? And then we'll go for a, a bit of an overview of your thesis. Okay.
1: well, as you mentioned, my background, I have a minor in classical mythology, but throughout my undergrad, I was really interested in all aspects of mythology because from the time I was even like very young, I've always loved stories. And that's one of the things that I've always been passionate about is just reading stories, absorbing stories, and seeing where all these stories lead. But I've always loved seeing how stories kind of change and adapt and get passed down and retold over generations. And that's what eventually d- led me to myth is that a lot of these stories that get retold now come from myth. And so it's so fascinating to see how myth kind of influences culture. But I've also just brain catch up. <laughs> just loved seeing how all these things happen and come into place. During a while ago, I had this idea that maybe I could start looking at the figure of Medusa, and just like it has in culture culture, it got stuck in my head as well. It's like this figure of Medusa, and I was thinking maybe because she's always seen as the monster maybe i can make see how i can look at her as a um as a epic hero in the nature of the hero's journey of joseph campbell and seeing how maybe she really does go through all the steps of that journey and try to document that but during a talk with verlin flieger she really got down to the why would anybody care about reading that it's an interesting study yes it's an interesting study of her character and looking at literature but what's the relevance to these days and in our talk I was realizing that actually the reason it's relevant is because her journey mirrors what so many people so many women go through of the fact that they do get systematically stripped of their voice now i was then trying to see and research okay has ever anyone else kind of looked at this aspect of this before and yes that there's different aspects of focusing on different parts of her and documenting how her history has changed and documenting as a feminist icon or as a monster or as a femme fatale or as a monster or as this but there wasn't really anything that was looking at again the relevance of why does that matter to people instead of just her figure how is that actually relevant throughout history and so through my thesis i started looking at from the inception of the myth and even before the greek and roman myth that we know back to her origins in um in the libyan amazons and other pre metro pre-patriarchal times when in the matrilineal societies when she was a goddess figure up to now, how did everything change? So i started with Greco-Roman, went through the different changes through the Renaissance, through the medieval times, uh, through popular culture and feminist critique and psychological critique and seeing how has the different ways that people have viewed or changed. And it really broke down to in each age, the idea that people, Persuade Medusa is is she was a mirror for how the people gazing at her viewed women and how they if they were afraid of her are they impassioned by her is she a victim is she a monster is she the perpetrator is she actually just in the wrong place at the wrong time what happened with her story and how people viewed her and so it's just interesting to see throughout all this history how is she portrayed and that's where my thesis really started looking at in depth.
0: Hmm. Okay. So you know, now we know why it was you were drawn to this particular topic, let's talk a little bit about um, how that was woven into your thesis. So give us a brief overview of the sorts of things you were talking about in your thesis.
1: Okay, so in my thesis I was really looking at two sides of it. One was what is the literary angle of it, what does it say directly in the text, and the other side of it was looking at what do scholars say about that text and also then bringing my own take on the taking these two things together. What does it look like? So from the origins of the time, the myth of Medusa became one of the most popular Greek myths. And it was in line of a riddance myth where there used to be matrilineal societies, clans used to be ruled by women, but as the Greeks came into power, that power dynamic started to shift. And as history is written by those in power and stories are told by those in power, those stories had to change. But similar to how things, the Greek myths absorbed things and then changed it to their own ends. In the original myths, the sky kings, the new patriarchal leaders, the lords of the sky versus the mothers of the earth had to take over and in that kind of myths, The sons of the Sky Kings, or the children of the Sky King, has to kill the old gods in in order to take their power. Medusa, representing the old gods, is the only mortal Gorgon of her three sisters. She's the only one that is actually mortal. And when Perseus goes to kill her, Zeus's children, Hermes and Athena, actually give him tools in order to do that. So the three of them together, sons of Zeus kill the old goddess and then take her power use her head and it's always on athena's shield to help petrify her enemy help petrify zeus's enemies so in the original myth it's seen that okay time to strip women of their power put them into the home where they now belong and try to make it so that it seems that this is where they're so supposed to be and then throughout a lot of other Greek myths that I was trying I alluded to but didn't go into depth about, a lot of these myths and stories also try to do that too. And any woman that does step out of line, that does try to have power, that even has the hint of power, is seen as a monster needs to be killed or is seen as not a woman. And so Medusa gets killed, any of the women that have power gets killed, and then they can only speak up when Rain. The only two times that women are even allowed then speak up in this new Greco-Roman society is when they're either about to be murdered, so they have time to defend themselves, any last words, or in defense of their family and other women. They can never, they've been stripped of, these stories and the culture effectively strip women of their power. Then as we keep on going through history, we see that versus just this monstrous figure that's evil, it goes into, In the second century and ish there's like they become femme fatales where it's because of their dangerous beauty that they block women block men from their righteous path towards god and so the stories that are written around then kind of reflect that idea as it goes through the next like intellectual cycle in the renaissance you have the idea that women and sex are now beautiful but Medusa is then now seen as a victim of that patriarchal society, but it's still, no, nope, men are still the only ones that are allowed to write about that. We take it back, but it is then a shift started happening when we realized maybe Medusa has not has been done dirty and hasn't really been treated as she, she should have been. However, it's still fine because the men should have done it. It's really more of a men's liberation versus women's liberation. As we keep on going through history though, then as we get more towards modern times, you have kind of, in the 1900s, there was a big schism between Freudian mytho- Freudian psychology and Union psychology and Freud just viewed Medusa as a pair of genitals and was like, oh yeah, it's just because she can stri- make men hard and strip men of their power versus Jung who saw her as maybe it's the mirrors of the two sides, with Athena being logic and reason and, Medusa being sexuality, but it still had this kind of twist to it. And then as feminist I mean, scholars took it over, it started realizing that, yes, Medusa was a rip, victim of rape. She has been totally taken down by male you know, society. They keep on trying to make her into this abused. But popular culture still goes like, nope, we're still going to have her as a femme fatale. We still want to see her as a monster. We still need to have her killed in all of the popular media that's being consumed still. So it's one of those things of while the scholars realize that you have one aspect of it and that we can logically say with the Me Too movement that women are abused, that we can logically say that we have all of these things going on, popular media, popular culture, the n- driving narrative is still written by men when they're trying to be like, no, this isn't a big deal. What are you guys talking about? You're just going to ruin his future. Don't accuse people of that. What about the false accusations and and also using her imagery even in the most recent political election with Trump as the hero holding the head of Hillary Clinton as he's triumphing over the evils that would have been befelling the, this country if the horrors if she'd won.
0: Mhm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you talked a lot about the origins of the myth uh, and the ways in which um, the Greco-Roman appropriation of that myth changed over time to suit the, uh, the, the political climate, if you like, of the time. Let's talk a little bit about some of the more modern texts that you alluded to in your thesis. How did you, because a, a lot of this is about the use of Medusa as a trope throughout uh, time, if you like. So what kind of modern texts were you looking at?
1: So I looked at a couple of sources, from video games through books, through movies that are being played. There are video games I was looking mainly at the Kid Icarus series and the God of War series. And it's interesting because with the Kid Icarus games, there's two games, one written in the 1980s and one ri- that was just released in 2010, 2013-ish. And in the 1980s, Medusa was the big bad of the game. She was this giant, ugly monster that was trying to plunge the world into darkness. In the remake of it, she got transformed into a sexier femme fatale again, which is kind of interesting. Again, history repeats itself to see the shifts. And halfway through the game, spoilers for if anyone is still gonna play the game, she actually turns out not to be the big bad and said it was this male Hades. So again, it was trying to say that instead of this person couldn't obviously have been in charge and if there was, it has to be ugly versus No, it was just a sexual. I mean, a beautiful woman that was just using her sex appeal to try to take over, and then if she had to be underneath a man. And in a lot of the books, it was also interesting to see. Rick Riordan has done a a great thing of trying to reinvigorate Greek and Roman mythology and also Mm -hmm. Egyptian mythology for modern readers. And in his writing, he does try to be cognizant and aware of feminist issues, of disability issues, and trying to make it so that people feel more involved while still holding to the popular myths without changing them too, too much. So in that story, Medusa is made a lot more sympathetic, but she is an old granny, but at the end of the day, in from those myths, she is a monster and she's trying to kill people, but she really is just lonely and that's driving a lot of what she's doing too. She wants people to stay with her. And instead of being raped, she does go back to it seeming more like a consensual relationship that was in the original series, trying to again, give Medusa her agency. And she chose her path. She got punished for her actions, but, she was trying to make it a little bit more nuanced and she did give her power back to one of the characters that was being abused and let her take um yeah, her defeat her abuser through her own power and through produces power but then in the movie version of it again through the lens of hollywood which is still much more male-centered if we look at how many female directors we have how many that get criticized how long to stay for even female superhero movies Hollywood is still a male sphere. And so instead of it being a sympathetic character, she's again turned into a femme fatale that then the men just use throughout the story in order to get what they want and don't even er, spoke at the more nuanced areas of the abuser instead Percy, her son, had to be the one to step up instead of her doing it. And the last movies that we looked at were the two Clash of Clans movies, which again, a modern one, and then one from the 80s and 70s where we saw a more ugly monster And then an updated femme fatale, but even in in that one, she did try to seem a little bit more sympathetic and lonely, though she was trying to kill them. So it's just interesting to see those shifts in modern storytelling and then how she even crops up still in cartoon shows and TV shows and where in popular media, though, she is still seen as a monster.
0: Mm. And particularly interesting that uh, the way in which you can see how an author, Rick Riordan, tried to actually almost reclaim Medusa and do something different with her and and, uh, change the narrative, if you like. And then Hollywood takes it away and just puts it right back the way that it had been. Yeah. So really interesting the way in which they changed the dynamic there. Okay, so if you had to pick one particular point the most central element of your argument in your thesis, what would it be and why?
1: I feel like the most central point to this thesis is just the fact that women are powerful and men are afraid of that power. And so the narratives that we write are shaped in such a way to try to strip them of that, but at the end of the day, women should try to work to reclaim their power, reclaim their bodies, reclaim themselves in writing, and hopefully we all together can slowly start shifting that narrative away from the predominant narrative of those that are afraid in power.
0: Mm -hmm. So that's the core argument of your thesis, and you use the Medusa myth to illustrate um, the ways in which power has been taken and the ways in which women can reclaim power, yes? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, having written all of this uh, thesis, um, let's talk a little bit about your process of writing. Um, Now, every time I supervise somebody who does a thesis like this, um, we end up with um, moments where there, there are elements of the thesis that you could expand, but you haven't got room for it. Uh, arguments that you would like to make, but you're not able to do that um, because it is constrained within a word limit. So um, if you suddenly were offered, right, you have unlimited time and plenty of word space in which to do it, what extra things would you do within your thesis? How would you expand what you already have?
1: So one of the things that I wanted to really focus on that I had to drop at the end of it was, in one of the th- passages I came across, one of the people had said that, I'm sure Medusa was just a man coming across to a black woman in the forest, seeing her dinky hair, and then saying, oh, look, a monster. And so it's one of those things that, while my thesis does talk about how women have lost power, it I would have liked to focus on more areas that, people, women of color and other disenfranchised groups that have also been stripped through narratives that white patriarchal male society has told. So if I could, I'd like to look at how Medusa can kind of represent those, how we might look at people of color and bring those in. I'd love to look at other aspects of myths that are kind of tied in with these ones, as well as, of course, if I was going in, besides just, if I was going on the same idea but not the same path, I'd like to look at different fairy tales, different other stories that all have kind of fallen in the same area and how all of these things together have woven together to try to put the blanket narrative to keep women down.
0: Oh, so can you give us some examples of myths or fairy tales that you might use?
1: So one that easily comes to mind is the Little Mermaid myth and Mm -hmm. how... In its original one from Hans Christian Andersen, you have this idea that, oh, women don't have souls and they can only get it through marriage. Mm -hmm. And that gets pushed out through the entire um, story is that that idea. And then you have like, okay, you have Cinderella, you have a lot of the other fairy tales that are still widely known that even with these princess narratives, it's from the original tales, they're a lot more darker than Disney portrays them to be. And how do those kind of really reflect what lessons were they trying to push down?
0: Mm hmm. Okay. so you mentioned early on in answer to the uh, to my question that uh, there were certain things that you just weren't able to do. I mean, um, the idea of expanding it into looking at women of colour is an expansion Uh of your thesis. But whilst you were actually working on the process of the thesis, there will have been things that you actually had to cut out of it. And this, this is something that happens to everybody who is working on their thesis. It's what I like to call kill your darlings. There are things that you just, you desperately want to keep in your thesis, but it's either you've got to get rid of them or you have to expand on them. And you haven't got room to expand on them, so you've got to cut them. So can you pick out any things that were darlings that had to be killed?
1: Well, the interesting side of it is that thesis, I was supposed to be focusing mainly on the literary aspect of of everything and focusing on just what text do we have, what poems, what stories, what everything we have. And while it would have been great to even research more stories and everything to be bringing in, of course, you had to try to keep it straight into the point and keep the narrative flow going. However, with the way that I write, the way that I go with things, I usually have a more journalistic approach to my writing. I usually try to write looking at the feelings that people have and how it deals with the interactions that we have with others and how everything kind of ties together in that shape. And I do know that throughout my writing, both you and Maggie both yelled at me to you need to actually keep it to just purely the literature. You can't be talking about your opinions so much, and you can't be talking about what direction you think we need to be going in our society. You need to focus on what does the literature say about this figure and how it reflects everything. Mm -hmm. So that was the biggest thing that we've had to cut throughout this entire process
0: you would call that a roadblock to your process you would call that a roadblock to your process so let's focus on the process then because a lot of people who watch these thesis theatres um haven't done their thesis yet and you know this is something that's in their future um in terms of a process how did you approach doing this and what did you actually think of the process of of doing this thesis
1: It's just interesting for me because my thesis got a little bit more drawn out than I really thought it was going to be. Of course, at the the origin of this, you hear you have two semesters to finish this. And Mm -hmm. at the time, you think, oh, yeah, that would be easy. But as most people that have gone through this thesis process will tell you, yeah, you usually are taking a little bit longer than you think you're going to, and it usually gets extended a bit. Of course, my own writing got a little bit... um, roadblock in the middle of it through some family health issues that we were going through. And so that happened in the middle of my research semester, right, when I was trying to get through a lot of the books that I was reading. So it did give me a More time as I was waiting in the hospital to actually read and delve and process some of these longer works that I was going through. So a lot of the origin of it was I have this great idea now I have no idea where to start and I had this background (laughs) knowledge from some of the previous courses I've done in signum and I've done some research on the figure of Medusa because I knew even back then I wanted to do something around her but I hadn't figured out until that talk with Verlyn Flieger about what I was actually going to be doing with it. So I knew I had some things in the backlog that I had to go through and that was about twenty or thirty old articles, I needed to go say, okay, which of these is actually useful? What can I actually get stuff from? And then also from my previous studies, both in Signum and back in undergrad, I'd read countless other books in mythology and it caught, okay, let's see, what did I remember from this? What could I get from this? What could I get from this? And piecing all those together along with, okay, try and research who actually knows things in this field. Where can you actually find useful text and not ones that that are just being written or other anthologies? And as everyone can have an opinion, but they're not actually the strongest of backed up writers, it was also trying to figure out who actually were good sources. And you mm-hmm. helped me a lot with that and trying to figure out some good sources. And those sources led Much me up. down other, and those led me down other paths to find other resources. And then just a lot of reading, a lot of pe- picking apart, okay, these lines, a lot of then sorting through all of my different notes because the way I take notes is I like to write down quotes that I like from different books and readings, and my thoughts on them, but then having to go back through those and picking, okay, how does that tie with this and this tie with this? And then I sorted those quotes into, okay, why Medusa? Why myth? Why the or Like, okay, let's look at Greco-Roman stuff. Let's look at as it's transitioning. Let's look at modern, let's look at feminist. And then, okay, now that I have all of these sources and all of these writers, how can I piece a narrative together with this from my own thoughts? And then I took those ideas and broke it again by piece by piece, putting them together from, okay, let's try to do this, and then this flows into this. And because I knew that there was that narrative flow, it's just a matter of actually trying to get it there. Mm -hmm. And then of course, editing and re-editing and (laughs) Mm re-editing.
0: Yeah, the the process is is a lengthy one and it's intensive. And you're right, sometimes real life can really get in the way. Uh, It was unfortunate that real life got in the way, but the fact that you've uh, completed it is, I think, testament to your determination that you were just gonna get this thing done. So, you know, all, all kudos to you for that. Um, so would you have any advice for anybody who is getting close to that moment of having to decide what they're going to do for their thesis? And then they're facing that two semester thesis process. Do you have any advice for people?
1: Choose something that you're interested in, because even by the end of it, you're going to be sick at looking at it. But I, like, even if I was tired of looking at my own sources, I was always still passionate about the topic itself and the injustice that we have in our society. And that was kind of fueling me to, I need to finish this because it's important to do. So it's like, no matter what you do, choose something that you actually can spend a year or two on without going completely crazy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Okay. I've got one more question. It's quite a big one because I'm going to talk about your critical reading we need to think about the critics that you drew on, and how useful they were. So while we're going to be talking about that, um, can I invite anybody who's in the audience, if you've got any questions, if you would like to be putting those into the question box, uh, then please do go ahead because I am happy to draw on any questions in the audience and throw them at our poor victim, sorry, student, Sitting right here because he's a captive audience too, and he can't get away from the questions. Uh, And also, Dr. Maggie Park hopefully will have some questions when we're done. So, let's just take this to something that is at the heart of every master's thesis for Signum, which is your critical reading. Now, for something like um, this particular thesis, who were you drawing on, and uh, who was the most important for you, and why?
1: so it started off back in the research methods class when i was again getting some sources and just background information on medusa and something that i think started sparking me down this journey was hello Hel- <laughs> uh, <laughs> helen sixo's a lap of the medusa and really it was just mm-hmm. talking about how women need to write for themselves and it is kind of funny that a lot of my even growing up i loved reading stories with women protagonists and the best ones were written by women because they actually know how to write characters that aren't boy pretty. (laughs) But from there, it was just one of those things of, okay, they need to write themselves. And at the end of the day, it ends with just saying the Medusa is not terrible. She's beautiful. And she's laughing at all of these people that have been trying to rip her down. And that kind of started the thought process in the background and the subconscious. While I was actually going through the the thesis research, Mary Beard's *Women in Power* was two little lectures that she took together. That one was focusing on just how women were heard, and then in one of the comics that pretty much puts succinctly what the crux for argument was is it's a co- political comment a comic of a boardroom, and a woman is giving an idea to the board. and It's like that's a great idea. Would a man here, a man here, like to make it? And just how we keep on getting told, even from the Odyssey that, and through now, it's just that women have been told constantly, shut up, shut up, shut up. And even now we see with Twitter rants and everything else where, and even, as I said, a lot of my friends are into gaming, anime, movies, TV shows. And any time that my girlfriend or any of my other friends try to step in, to that sphere, they then get shut down like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just a fake fan. It's just like, it goes back to even with Star Trek and when Amy Sturgis is talking about how do you do realize that the entire reason conventions happen is because women started it with Star Trek, right? It's not yours. You didn't you men did not make this space. But anyway, that was her, her women was on that and her power lecture was all about how we need to try to reinvent the language that we have in our society. We need to take—it's not just changing people's minds; it's scrapping it and starting building back up from the ground up of just how we perceive power in our society. How even people try to women that are in the political sphere have to dress up as men or have to change their voice or any of those kind of natures just mm-hmm. to be heard and taken seriously. And it was a—it's one of those things that you realize it, but until you have words to express it, sometimes it's hard to actually understand what it is you're looking at.
2: Mm, And by looking
1: at the narratives that you can start seeing the threads through everything. And it's just, even right now with this lockdown, I've been loving reading some of these articles that this one woman's writing about just how history keeps on building on itself and how everything is tied together. This was again, showing me then how these myths have all kind of tied together and what's going on, Mm -hmm. how the stories we tell shape today. The other thing I loved yeah. reading was David Leeming's Medusa in the Mirror of Time, because it was really just, if not necessarily helping me on the understanding the critical and lens reflecting aspect of it, but it gave me a great scope of just the transformation her char- Medusa's character has faced throughout history and how these different sources have portrayed her. And so I think those were the three biggest sources that helped influence my cre- my critical study through all of this.
0: Mm, some fascinating stuff there. I'm a huge Mary Beard fan. I think she's absolutely fantastic. And she has a lot to say about the language that's used around women. Um, and it's it's very interesting. I mean, uh, the words that were um, cast at, uh, at women in power over the, the last few years, for example, being described as strident or shrill or bossy or, you know, things like that. Those are words that are never applied to men. Um, They get words like assertive, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So a lot of it is all embedded in the language. I find that, you know, really, really interesting. And um, just to kind of of add to this discussion, if you like, something that I've been picking up on recently, a lot of um, Twitter threads talking about this, is to do with this lockdown at the moment and the different ways in which academic women and academic men are actually experiencing the lockdown where a lot of academic men are saying oh well you know it's difficult and it's all very strange but hey at least i'm getting time and space in which to work on my writing and the academic women are saying, this is dreadful. I'm getting no time and space in which to work on my writing because I'm supporting my husband and looking after the children. So, you know, it's, it's yeah, there's all sorts of things that actually work against women, even in academic spaces. Um, and, and, yeah, it's And I've seen too with my
1: friends that are teachers too. And it's just like, I feel so bad for them because it's just like, One of my co-teachers is going crazy right now because she doesn't know how to balance both her schoolwork, being a teacher and taking care of the kids, let alone having time for herself. And it's just like, well, what are you talking about? Everything's quiet here.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, And apparently the um, the output of articles by female academics is. At the moment, because. They're looking at the expectations. Yes, exactly. So we have um, a couple of questions come into the question box. Uh, I'll ask you some of these and then we'll call on uh, Dr. Maggie Park and see if she's got some questions for you as well. So uh, Nadia Schaefer asks, I worked for quite a few years in the domestic violence field and I noticed a lot of early 90s work had Medusa imagery on it. Did you come across any explanation of this phenomenon?
1: I know that it came across in my writing, it doesn't mean that right now I can necessarily pull it out of my memory banks, but it is one of those things of during that time period, she did get a revival and that's when everyone was starting to use her image for everything from psychologists to um, is a domestic violence to I'm blanking right now, but so okay. many different people started looking at just her imagery and started, there was a huge upsurgence in, in that, and everyone was trying to use her something from, she's the reason why everyone, like it's the reason why we procrastinate, because we just get paralyzed by our own fear. No, she's this. No, she's this. No, she's this. But again, it was a, really started looking at her as a model for, yes, she was abused. She was the victim of assault. And that's when she was probably starting to get reclaimed for it because that's when they started realizing that, hey, look, this is when, where we have power. She actually has the power that men are afraid of. She's, men are afraid of her gaze. They're afraid that they're going to be petrified by it. They're going to be stopped by it. And it's just because she owns herself. She's comfortable. With, she was comfortable with her body. She got with a god. And then next thing you know, she's punished for it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And how interesting that uh, men are afraid of the female gaze, huh?
1: You can only look at it through a mirror.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, and a question from Elizabeth Hart. You have me thinking of Queen Amidala's headpieces as compared to Medusa's snakes. I see Amidala as a positive feminist character, and perhaps her headpiece is a sort of positive callback to the Medusa image.
1: I can see that definitely. But it's also been interesting how in the later works, it's, it's like it's, she talks about how she tries to claim her own agency. She uses body doubles, how you have the drawn up monstrous queenie side, you have the regular person side. And then she only really loses her agency once she gets pregnant. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And again, when I go back to men stripping women by power from fear, it's the fact that Anakin's fear is what ends up being her undoing. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So Maggie, are you available to put your webcam on? There she is.
2: I wish you could see me smirking the whole time as you're saying these things. I'm like, yeah, of course they do that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So do you have some
2: questions? I do. And it's been been so lovely to just hear you talk about it with such ease. You're clearly familiar with the material and feel very strongly connected to it. And I really like your um, advice to everyone that's potentially going down this path of just liking something because you'll be tired of it by the time you're done. So thank you for that. Um, And I'll continue to encourage everyone to ask questions, because obviously this is a safe space to have this fun conversation as well as a a useful one. So I've got two questions for you. One about your process and one about content. Um, Just about process, you covered a lot of ground over a a wide breadth of time. And I'm just curious what your relationship with the critical works was like. How did it change from you being, uh, I think, quite receptive to the research, and then challenging the research and kind of coming through that and finding your voice is what I'm getting at. So how did, how was that process for you to engage in that conversation with these academics?
1: Well, it was interesting that a lot of the academics were on two sides of the fence. They either were on the side of, yeah, that makes sense and plays and goes with the one the that I'm also going towards and also just the fact of yeah, I can. I've seen that in my own observations of society, and others that were just kind of trying to fight that idea, which is again kind of looking at that divide again between okay, who's writing this, which side, who, which kind of side of the academic fence are they really going on to? When I was trying to piece it all together, it's hard to say. It's just like I, reading widely and then trying to figure out where you're going with it. It's always been more of an intuitive process for me. Is that? I get a feeling for how things work and how things kind of tie together and seeing the patterns that emerge within. Again, kind of looking back at that, okay, where do you see things reoccurring? I think it's just, the subconscious pattern recognition, trying to frame like, oh yeah, this person was talking about what this person was talking about what's kind of causing this conversation. Okay, maybe they only had threads here and here and here, but how can we then tie the three of these together to make the rope of this narrative? Okay, let's look at this. this. How does that tie in? Does it not? Is it a frayed end? Is that frayed end actually gonna take this argument apart? Okay, maybe we need to do more research on that area and then try to shore that up. Or is it really just two sides of that part? Okay, does that split? And then just trying to piece together, how does this actually all turn into a coherent narrative from the threads that are spoken about and observations that you have from popular culture, observations that you've had throughout your life, things that you've had people tell you, stories that you've heard from your friends, family, that you've seen from different other people when you've been researching and things that you've seen happen to your students, all these things that kind of play together make the fabric of our Western society, and then seeing how does the narrative of this story kind of weave itself throughout that? I don't know if that makes any sense, but that is kind of how my thought process kind of meandered through it all.
2: (laughs) I think you could see Sarah and I smiling and nodding along because we're all familiar with that. And that's, that's one of the things I wanted other people to hear, but also I'm glad to hear that you had that moment because I think as students, we engage with these texts and think that they are law. And then you start to find yourself having a conversation with these things and starting to question why that is that way why that is that way and the web that you drew and and the way you described it (laughs) yup we're a bit familiar with that so that's great Um, My other is just a bit on content. You you touched on it earlier. Um, I got really taken. I I mean, I had to reread this section about three or four times because I actually just got caught up in the narrative of of what you were talking about and thought it was really interesting. Um, The role of Medusa in popular culture and the reimagining of Medusa, um, particularly in video games and Rick Riordan's works and things like that. So I just wondered if you might expand on that a little bit of how the imagery has been used in popular modern texts and where you might see this role going forward. Is there another opportunity for her? I know that's a bit of a creative question but do you think there is a space where she could be a badass hero?
1: I would like there to be but it seems it's going to be difficult. It's one of those things of it makes me think of some of the twisted fairy tales type books where you have a lot of these narratives being told say like If you're thinking of again of i mentioned earlier in this thing like disney princesses and everything else you have this idea that a lot of books have been coming out recently that have been humanizing say ursula from little mermaid or maleficent and you have movies like maleficent that have come out so i think that it's if there was the right director with somebody with the right passion towards it it definitely could happen i get the feeling that would struggle in the box office because of the way that the critics would go towards it, just like they have for a lot of the more recent, say, Wonder Woman film that came out, where everyone was like, it was amazing, you need to see it, but then the critics were trying to shoot it down for some of the fact that, oh, that this woman director was really struggling with it, and now it's not as making as much money as this, and it's just like, again, not looking at the successes that have happened and the fact that then you have women, you have young girls that are like, happy at representation, and also kind of, again, if we're going about people of color, I like love reading these posts about how you know, you have young black boys looking up to Miles, Morales as Spider-Man, and realizing that I can be in literature too. I think that we have seen a lot, an upswing again in women protagonists back in media. We have say like with The Hunger Games brought up another huge surge of women-led dystopia novels. And I think it could lead to a Medusa hero story where it would take and reimagine the myth. Or at the very least, I think somebody could kind of similar to the Penelope that Margaret Atwood did, humanizing Penelope and trying to do her perspective as she was going through all these struggles. I think that there could be a work that kind of explores all of that kind of nature and then brings it back to life. And then maybe an adapt, if a play adaptation came of that. I think then, then it could again, open up that narrative in the popular sphere. But I feel like the way that Hollywood's run right now, it wouldn't make it into a movie because it would turn into being shut down by the board of directors because nobody wants to see that. It goes against what they know. That's not why people go to the movies.
2: Yeah, we're fifteen years on discovering that women are a box office earning audience and they're still not pitching to them. So mm-hmm.
0: and, and, yet, um, and, then, Maybe an and yet some of the um more up to date um uh, uh ones well, am I thinking of Captain America? Um mm-hmm. Captain Marvel, that's it. Yeah. Um blew the box office part. Yeah. So and yet, you
2: she's, <laughs>
1: If you look on Twitter, she's the worst superhero ever, didn't you know?
2: Did you hear my eyes roll?
0: Uh huh. Uh, They rolled. Actually, speaking if we're actually looking at
1: if we're actually thinking about current events in the last three days, every there was uh, in the public media there was going to be this new woman um, led Star Wars series that just got announced, and now today an article came out that the execs are extremely angry. One that it got announced that it was even happening, but two even trying to change that and. Apparently, you're replacing the director. Uh, Again, I only briefly saw something, of course, with the tagline, oh, it was just SJW propaganda thrown around, and it's just,
2: yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bit by bit. Yes, yes. Uh, There's a lot of shutting people up.
2: Yeah. The earlier question.
0: Everyone with respect.
2: The earlier question did make me think, too, about um, the imagery of Amidala, uh, Hela's headpiece in Ragnarok, There's there's got to be some kind of tie between those two mythologies of,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and again, the femme fatale in every way, shape, and form was she, so mm, it's fun to play.
1: It is. There's, again, going with iconography. If we're going for subconscious iconography and how often it shows up, mm-hmm. you're right.
0: <laughs> hmm Okay, It's interesting that
1: her image has also been, like, even with the evil eye, and then you have the things, too, of how that kind of creeps up and warding against evil. But so many different paths.
0: So many different paths, indeed. Um, Is that everything from you, Dr. Park? It is, yes. I'm quite happy to keep chatting, but that was was my, my burning queries for you. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we have no further questions in the question box. Is there anything you wanted to add, Chris, to what it is that you've told us? Anything you haven't talked about that you wanted to cover at all?
1: Not so much about the work itself, but I did want to start off by thanking both of you so much for helping me through this entire process, keeping me grounded, keeping my head on straight, especially as going through the clouds or looking at all the forests, going back to the trees and just Your patience, your guidance, and all of your help throughout this entire thing has been a godsend. I also just really want to thank my family and friends for also supporting me throughout this entire process and keeping me sane. (laughs) So it's just a slow (laughs) process of trying to get through this. And again, when we go back to advice for those that are about to go through this process, just like with everything in life, find balance, find moderation. Don't beat yourself up too hard if you don't get as much done as you want because it's going to take time. It's going to take patience and always make time for your hobbies, your friends, your loved ones. And even if you are passionate about this, you can't make it your entire life. You need to be able Mm -hmm. to find time to stay connected to the world. And especially if you're writing about the world, you need to stay connected with it. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Sharon Hoff says your Signum advisor congratulates you. Well done. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, one last point from uh, Mark Lachnit. He says, isn't it Athena's shield, Aegis, that is used to reflect and defeat the Gorgon?
1: Yes, it is. And well, yes. it's not. I'm not sure if it was her shield that was. I know it was the shield that was used. I'm not sure if it's her shield that was used to defeat her, but it is her shield that starts, that absorbs the Gorgon's face. Sometimes it's Athena's breastplate, but it is her shield that absorbs the face and actually then carries around to petrify her Zeus's mm-hmm. enemies which I did talk about how, again, patriarchal society appropriating that limp power and using it earlier. And it's also, we haven't even, we didn't even talk about Athena in this entire thing, but it is interesting to note just the relationship between Athena and Medusa and how some people view that either as two sides of the same coin or as one as the male fantasy of what women should be and the other as what women actually are.
0: Mm, interesting. Oh, and there's another chapter for your thesis right there. <laughs> and Ryan Acosta Fox says he's fascinated by your thesis and has really appreciated the thoughtful dialogue. Thanks for that, Ryan. OK, and unless there are any more questions that suddenly come wing their way into the question box, we are done. And um, Thank you for your thanks, Chris, but I wanted to thank you as well, because this was a very different thesis to supervise and I really enjoyed working with it. It Took me out of, not so much out of my comfort zone, but out of my little box, if you like. Um, And I'm sure Maggie will agree that it was an absolutely fascinating study. And, And I said to you, this is not something that another Signum student has done and it is really different and really different can be really really good and i think you've done an absolutely great job so thank you for allowing me on that journey with you i've really enjoyed it every step of the way even with the real life issues tm that uh, got in the way occasionally it's been an absolute pleasure
2: thanks to both of you for letting me come along it was it was great
0: okay so that's everything i'd like to thank everybody who has come along to this thesis theater i hope you've enjoyed this those of you who are either about to embark on the thesis process or will do so at some point in the near future i hope you found this interesting and illuminating and also encouraging that um you know even though it can be a tough process you get through it and you come out the other end with you know a a store of personal knowledge that makes you the expert in the room because I think uh, Maggie and I will both agree, we are not the experts in the room when it comes to this. And that is Mr. Hawkins right there. Uh, He is definitely the expert on this. So um, yes, thank you for turning up to the Thesis Theatre. I hope you've all enjoyed it. I know that we have, and do come along to the next time we have a Thesis Theatre on, whoever that's going to be. I suspect it might be me again, because I've got (laughs) another one coming up soon. Okay, so thank you very much, Maggie Park, for joining us today thank you christopher you are officially done (laughs) i I want to pop champagne yay yes yeah virtual champagne and streamers and things and social distancing celebrations will now begin thank you all okay okay thank you all thank you very much